Well, good morning. So excited to be here this morning as Pastor Sid is traveling. Uh, Seth and I have been able to preach these last couple weeks, and it's been a privilege. It's exciting to be able to share the word of God with you this morning. Uh, this part of his travel, he is actually now over in Arizona visiting family. And so he comes back tomorrow night. So if you wouldn't mind praying for him as he travels back tomorrow night, I'm sure he would really appreciate that. For the last several weeks, we have been going through a series called God's Design for Us. And if you can't see in the, from where you're sitting or if you can't tell online, this is actually a blueprint. It's not just a blue page. It's actually a blueprint there. And how God has designed us with a purpose and a plan. But not only that, God has designed Open Door, just like God has designed every church that follows him with a purpose and a plan. And for the last several years, or last few years, I should say, the board has come together and really worked through core values. Things that we as a board, as leaders of the church, would go, man, when the rubber meets the road, who are we? And the reason why we started walking through this core value process as a board is for just two reasons. First of all, we want to make sure that all of us are on the same page. Y'all know, who here has different ideas than other people sometimes? Let's raise your hand if you do. Yeah, all of us do, right? And when you get several hundred people with different ideas out there, this is a core value to bring us back all together. Like, this is our core values. But not only so that we are like-minded and united in purpose, but also so we can communicate to the world, to those who are just checking us out, are, are, are things that we really think are very important. And so today, if you're here for the first time, you're going to hear about some of those things that we find very important, crucially important. In fact, a few weeks ago, Pastor Sid started this, this series, and he, started, and he talked about the Bible, that God's word, the word of God, is inerrant and fully authoritative. Here's the truth. Our opinions don't matter. But God's word is what's truth. God's word is our baseline. And we, as believers in Christ, need to hold to the word of God, not because we think it's trendy, but because we think it's timeless. In fact, we know it is. God's word is timeless. And we know it's breathed by God. Designed for our goodness and holiness and grace found through Jesus Christ. Not only that, but Pastor Sid moved on to talk about the, the gospel. How the gospel should be clear and simple. If you haven't heard the gospel, I'm going to share it right now in just about 10 seconds. It's this. We're all sinners. We deserve hell. Jesus Christ came to this earth, died for our sins, that if we trust in his payment, we're forgiven. That's it. It's nothing we have to work for. And the world tries to muddy it up. Even sometimes in Christianity, we muddy it up. We try and think you got to add this and add this and add this. Guess what? It's nothing else. It's simple. We sin. Jesus saves. We believe. And we hold that to a critical core value of our church. Not only that, but we believe that the, God has designed the church to be an avenue of his grace. We believe that we place high value on meeting together weekly as a church 
to communicate God's word and build community. We need to be a community. We believe that as we come together as a church, we get to live out God's grace. We believe that grace, we seek to worship and obey the Lord, motivated by gratitude for God's undeserved kindness. That's why we gather together. I hope you don't come to church out of guilt. I, I got to do my thing and check off the list. If you're here for that reason, I'm telling you, don't do it for that reason. That's like the horrible reason to do it. If it's just a checklist, stay home. I'm glad you're here, but there's really not a purpose to come here just to do a checklist. We're here motivated by grace because we worship the God of grace. Not only living out God's grace, we get to live out God's grace as a family. In fact, do me a favor. Look around at everybody and just make eye contact with people around here. I know it's weird. It's okay. I'm the pastor of weird. Look around. And as you're looking around, if you see a guy, say, you're my brother. If you see a girl, go, you're my sister. Go ahead. <laughs> We're a family, guys. We're a family. You know why we're a family? Because we all have the same blood flowing through us that is found and grounded in Jesus Christ. And we're not just people that live different lives separate from everybody else. We are together, one big family. And there's an old song, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Right? We, many of us know that song. There's a precious blessing about being a part of the family of God. And the cool thing is there's brothers and sisters that are gathering, not just in this building, but throughout this city and throughout this world that we get to be a part of as we worship and they're worshiping. We get to all come together in different zones, in different areas, different regions of this world and lift up the praises of our God as brothers and sisters. And that is exciting. Not only do we value family, a family church like this, but we value authenticity. Pastor said this, we have nothing to prove, nothing to hide. Oh, isn't that a good reality? As a body of Christ, as family, we have nothing to prove and nothing to hide. Why? Because we all know we're messed up people who, need an, who needs an awesome God. And so we don't have anything to hide. We walk, we strive to walk in grace. We strive to live out the love of God. Last week, Pastor Seth introduced us to the, the third category of our core value, which was building the kingdom of God, growing God's kingdom. And he introduced us to the value of evangelism. As a church, we value evangelism. He talked about being salt and light in this world. Sharing the good news of Jesus. Now, here's the thing. This doesn't mean that all these core values were hitting home runs all the time. This means we value them. Because we understand where you aim is a general direction of where you will hit. I don't shoot a gun this way and think I'm going to hit something that way. I don't pull a bow this way and think it's going to go over there. That would be ludicrous. We'd all go, well, that doesn't make sense. So we understand as a core value, we want to aim in a certain direction because that is what we want to live out as we honor Christ. We want to be evangelistic in our hearts, not out of guilt, not out of shame, but be a seasoning of salt to this world. 
Just little sprinkle, sprinkle. Little sprinkle, sprinkle of salt here, a little bit of here. Adding flavor to the life of this world. In fact, have you ever noticed a good steak tastes okay, but the moment you put a little seasoning salt on there, oh baby, <laughs> it tastes good. You don't need A1 sauce. <laughs> Who needs that? Just a little seasoning salt, and it adds so much flavor. And we get to be, as Matthew says, the salt of the earth, the light of this world. We get to be the salt and light of this world. And this morning, we're going to be talking about discipleship and serving. But as we walk through these core values, can we be honest? Sometimes, as we, even as I talk through those, we might be like, but I don't want to be evangelistic, and I don't want to make disciples, and I don't want to live this. I just want to live my life. Who here has ever thought I just want to live my life? Let's be honest. I have thought it. All right? So I'm, I'm assuming most of us have thought we just want to live our life, be on our way, do our merry thing. In fact, sometimes we act like children. You might even act like one of my three children. My three kids, when they were growing up, I had three very distinct children. Very distinct. I had the first one. His name is Micah. He was the compliant child. Now, we had to correct him. There was definitely discipline as he was a child. But he was the compliant child full of anxiety. He was a kid that would obey us because he wanted to please us, but also because he wanted to make sure that we liked him and we loved him. And he just struggled through this tension of, man, I just want to obey to make mom and dad happy with me. And let's be honest, it is easier to like a child who is obedient. I'm not going to lie. It is easier. You know why? Because you don't have to like deal with the struggles. It's just like, oh, they're so easy. We get along. This is great. But the hard part is they were li- he was living this, as he grew up, he was just living this tension of this anxiety in his heart of being a people pleaser. He'll be the first one to tell you that. But then I had my second child, my daughter, Claire. Claire is nothing like her brother. <laughs> she spit fire. Wow. <laughs> as she was growing up, she was the one that we would say, we use the phrase, she wanted to be the boss. I will be in charge. I will tell Micah what to do. He might be two years older. He might be three times bigger. But he will do what I say. But not just that. This little four-year-old tried to tell a 280-pound man what to do. I could squash her like a little bug. And we had a teacher, because she, she would want to be the boss. And so we had a teacher and trainer. You're not the boss. And oftentimes, she would be like, no, I don't want to do what you want. I want to do what I want. Very rarely did our paths align. And we had to drill into her, I am not the boss. I am not the boss. I am not the boss. Because she was, at her core, she was struggling with being defiant. And we prayed for Lord, wrangle her heart. Wrangle her heart. Lord, she's like a wild stallion. Wrangle her heart. And then we had this third child. This punk right over here. His name's Eli. Eli was not defiant. He was not compliant. He was a kid who was forgetful. You see, we spent a lot of time 
giving him direction because he would just get so lost. We'd give him a direction to do something. He was like, okay, Dad. And then he would go over and start doing it. Pick up your room. Three toys picked up. 30 toys not picked up because he got distracted with one of these toys and he was playing this toy drum. Like he had toy drums as a little kid. And he's like pounding these drums and we're like, dude, it was like 10 seconds ago. We told you to clean this up. I'm sorry, I forgot. I heard I forgot, I bet you a billion times. Okay, billions is an exaggeration. Thousands of times. I forgot. He would get distracted in life. Busy with life. And oftentimes, we in the Christian life get distracted and we get busy. And we say, I don't want to be a disciple maker. I don't want to serve. We say, I don't have time. I'm just too busy and distracted. Or maybe you're the person that says, I'll do it, but I'll do it because I feel guilted. I want to invite you to understand There's actually a greater reason we disciple. And there's a greater reason I want to invite you into the discipleship process. This past week on Thursday, uh, it was a crazy day Thursday. Many of you might know what happened, but throughout all of southeast Wisconsin, there was about 15 schools that were actually called with an active shooter. If you're a parent here and you had a kid in one of those schools, did it freak you out? It freaked me out. I'm not going to lie. It freaked me out. My, my kids were in one of those schools. And that day was one of those days you're going, oh, how are these kids doing? How are they doing emotionally? And yet there was definitely fear. But I saw things in those kids that were pretty amazing. They held, many of them held onto their faith, sharing their faith. In fact, As we get started, I just want to share this one verse. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not by giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, this past Thursday, I actually saw several teens who held unswervingly to their hope. I was in Christ Jesus. I was, um, there was actually some kids that I know that were actually locked up in rooms because they thought there was a shooter in their hallways. And I was texting with one of them, and, they, and I, I sent them a text, Joshua 1.9, the Lord is with you, be not afraid. And their text to me was, the Lord is my shepherd. He is protecting me. There were other kids who, as they left out of school, got out of school, they huddled up and prayed together. Running out in fear. I'm not saying there was no fear in any of this. Fear doesn't mean they didn't have any fear. That just means they knew who to trust. So they run out of school and they're huddling together and they're praying together. I know another kid who was locked up in a room and they were hiding together and there was kids fearful and this kid was actually praying over the class out loud and the teacher told their parents. Your kid was praying Well, we were all afraid, out loud. You see, I think discipleship is crucial because that hope is planted in our hearts when we get saved. But it is grown through pain and grown through discipleship. You see, when one grows in their faith, they grow in hope. And we have a world that needs hope. And so we... 
as children of God, we need to be disciple makers for God. We need to send a world, be a sender of people who have an answer for hope. You see, we strive to uphold discipleship at Open Door because we believe that healthy biblical discipleship helps one grow in their faith. And when they grow in their faith, they will grow in their hope. So the question is, are you a disciple maker? We pursue as a church, this is what our core value says, we pursue a culture of multiplication by helping each other make spiritually and encouraging each other to serve Christ. Let's see that again. We pursue a culture of multiplication by helping each other mature spiritually and helping each other serve Christ. You see, I'm going to say this clearly. We want you to be a disciple of Jesus, which means you are also a disciple maker of Jesus. You guys hear that? Read that. We want you to be a disciple of Jesus, which means you are also a disciple maker for Jesus. We don't apologize for this at our church. This is going to sound like, you know, please don't feel like I'm kicking your butt. I'm just letting you know up front. This is our core value. We don't need people to just fill seats. God didn't call people. Jesus didn't call people to go to church. He's calling you to make disciples. And we're going to read that in Matthew 28. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 28. If you have Bibles here in the chairs, it's page 811. This morning we're going to talk about four key principles of discipleship. And as you guys are turning to Matthew 28, and we're going to be looking at verse 18 here in just a minute, I just want to give a little backdrop of what happened up to this point. Three years ago, prior to this conversation that Jesus was having here, Jesus started calling his first disciples. He started telling them, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. And these disciples started following him, walking with him, seeing miracles that were just so cool. I mean, we see the feeding of the 5,000. We, we read about uh, the blind man having sight. We see Jesus raising the dead like Lazarus. We see all these things. But we also read how Jesus told parables and he told truths and he had sermons of really teaching people what it is of who, to follow Jesus and what it looks like to build the kingdom of God. Over and over we see this. The disciples walk with Jesus, and they had this heart understanding that he is our Messiah, he is our Savior, he is our King. And everything was going great until this one guy, Judas, betrayed Jesus. And they saw Jesus turned over to the leaders of the community. And they saw Jesus crucified on a cross, and they saw him put in a tomb. Can you imagine the heart of what these guys were just going through? I mean, this, this friend, this leader, this teacher, this rabbi, someone they just knew was going to be their Messiah, killed. And what felt like an instant, gone. And in that moment, in that moment, they are confused. In that moment, they're struggling. They might be going, what is going on? 
And then we see here in Matthew 28, two women, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, head off to the tomb because they wanted to see the tomb. Other texts tell us they wanted to anoint Jesus' body with ointment. And as they were going there, there was an earthquake. And all of a sudden, this angel appeared and said, he is not here. He is risen. Like, how freaky is that? That's weird. And they said, go tell the others. And as they're getting ready to leave, Jesus appears to them. And we see in verse 9, it says this. He goes, greetings, or hey, ladies, do not be afraid, but go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Now, if you were the 11 apostles and Mary Magdalene and the other Mary come to you and say, he's alive, but you saw him beaten, crucified, killed, die, and put in a tomb with a stone covering up the hole, you'd be like, you're crazy. What? I mean, see, we we think, we we give too much uh, credit to many of them thinking, Oh, they were super, super spiritual people. They were normal people who were like, uh, he's dead. But they went to Galilee anyway. In verse 16, let's read it, start reading in verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Pause for a second. Here, they worshipped, and yet some still doubted. Now, just a little side note. I actually appreciate that Matthew put in there, he, he doubt, some doubted. Because if you were trying to, like, write up a fake text, the first thing you wouldn't do is put that someone, people doubted the message. You'd be, like, historically just trying to twist everything to make out. Everybody believed, and everybody saw, da, da, da. But no, here he's saying, but some actually doubted. And so in their days of confusion and what was going on, they didn't know what was going on, but then Jesus spoke. And this is what he said. Let's look at verse 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. As we look at this passage and we talk about four key principles of discipleship, I want us to understand, we need to first of all understand Jesus' position. Jesus' position. When we are disciple-making, when we feel that call or or we're processing through discipleship, we need to understand who Jesus is and his position. And his position is seen in verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Has been given to me. Here in a mixed state of confusion, doubt, and worship, Jesus comes close to them and reminds them of who he is and who he always will be. He is the Son of God. There is nowhere his authority does not reach. He is the boss, and we are not. You see, position of authority determines the weight of the instruction. The position of authority determines the weight of the instruction. And what I mean by that is, who's speaking the command does matter. Let's be honest, right? Like if some yoga instructor at the Y told me to do something, 
She might be an instructor there and have authority there, but guess what? I don't care what she says. Why? Because she's not my authority. A guy in the military, he goes to his colonel. A colonel tells him to do something. He might be, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. But if another person of the same rank as him who has zero authority over him tells him to do something, is that an authority in his life? No. You see, the position of authority determines the weight of the instruction. And here we see Jesus saying, listen, all authority has been given unto me. All authority. Now, what is included in all? Everything. And then he goes on to say, not just all authority, but all authority in all places. In heaven and earth. He's communicating here, Jesus is communicating here, that is everywhere. Because we have to understand the jurisdiction of authority determines the validity of the demand. The jurisdiction of the authority determines the validity of the demand. You see, if I go to another country and I try to live an American life there and I disobey laws there, I could say, well, I'm a U.S. citizen. They would say, I don't care. Or if someone from another country comes here and they go, well, I'm a citizen over there, but you're here, I don't care. Why? Because the jurisdiction of authority determines the validity of the demand. And here we understand Jesus saying, I have all authority in heaven and earth. This is full encompassing. Basically, I am the boss. I am the king of kings. Just like that sign said on my cross. I am the king of kings. And that is crucial because we need to understand that we are not the boss. We want to live life so often doing our thing our way. Yet Jesus is saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. We are not the boss. He is. We need to recognize the authority of who is giving this command. And I want to tell you, he has some great credentials. He rose from the dead. Son of God. So we need to recognize his authority. But not just recognize his authority. We need to recognize Jesus' commission. Know the call or the order to make disciples. Knowing the call or the order to make disciples. Let's start reading at verse 19. So therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded. Here in this passage, we see a primary directive given to them. And that primary directive, the core of this text, is this make disciples. Make disciples. But Jesus communicated using three secondary descriptive commands. The first one go. This is purposeful, this is intentional. This is doing this on purpose. This is not que sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be. This is encompassing an assumed step with going is evangelizing. 
So we're not just going and baptizing. We're not just like, okay, run out to people, grab them by the head and push them in water and pull them out. That would be awkward and freaky. But we're called to go and tell of the good news of Jesus. Why? Because we have a world who needs a hope. So we go and tell. But not only are we called to go and tell and evangelize, we're also called to baptize. We see this command to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, those who have been reached. You see, baptism is an outward sign of an inward change. This call to baptism is meant to be the first step in discipleship after salvation. The first step in discipleship after salvation. When we get baptized, we are communicating to the world that we have trusted in Christ. We are communicating to the world that it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. We are communicating to the world where our heart and our allegiance lies. You see, we're supposed to go and tell and baptize. But here's the thing. Many of us maybe don't make disciples because we've trusted in Jesus Christ, but we've never been baptized. I would encourage you, if, you, if you've trusted in Jesus, and he's been like dragging your feet on baptism, get baptized. Baptism doesn't save you. It absolutely does not, has nothing to do with salvation, but it has everything to do with discipleship. Because it is an act of surrender. It is an act of saying, not my way, but yours. And we are called to invite people to that call. To trust in Christ and surrender after that. After salvation, surrender and following Christ. Then we have the third directive here, which is teach. The next step in discipleship is teaching people to obey what Jesus said. In other words, what I showed you and taught you to do in the past three years, teach them. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Here Jesus is is commanding them, listen, I want you to have an inflow, outflow heart in discipleship. What I taught you, teach others. What comes in through the word and through me comes out to others. What you know, you share and you show. You see, Jesus is not just calling us to be the Dead Sea. Y'all know what the Dead Sea is over in the Middle East? It's like one of the lowest places on earth. All water drains to it, but nothing drains out of it. It gathers, but it's dead. And as Christians, so often we are like the Dead Sea. We soak in, soak in, soak in. I go to this Bible study, and I go to this Bible study, and I sit in this service over here, and I read this, I listen to this podcast, and I read this book, and I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and I do this. But we don't make disciples. We just soak it in. We just soak it in. It's like we eat and eat and eat, but we don't burn, burn, burn. Calories. And that's not healthy. And so we need to have an inflow, outflow. And Jesus is calling them to have an inflow, outflow. What you know, you share, and you show. But not only are we supposed to know Jesus' position and Jesus' commission, but we need to understand Jesus' collaboration. Know the power. You might be going, but this sounds really hard. And this is why I think it's so crucial, and I celebrate what Jesus said here. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
You see, Jesus walked with them for three years. And then there was a couple days that they were alone. And can you imagine the depth of sorrow they felt in those days? But then Jesus came back and said, Oh, but I will always be with you. Here's my directive. Here's my command. But I'm not sending you out alone. I will be with you. We get to celebrate that we are not alone. You see, he is with us. And, through, and he want, we're not left to do this alone on our own. As children of God, we are empowered by God to do the work of God. Acts 1.8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Brothers, sisters, we are called to make disciples, and we're called to do it not in our own strength, but empowered by God himself. Does that make a difference? Hello? Does that make a difference? That we are called to do something empowered by God? I mean, think about that. We get to partner with God. When my kids were young, I used to mow the lawn. I still mow the lawn. There was a couple years I didn't do it as much because my teenagers were around and I got to tell them to do it. But when they were younger, I would mow the lawn and they had this little toy lawnmower and they would go out there and mow the lawn and act like they were doing it, but they were doing nothing, right? But as they got a little older, they wanted to be more with dad. And so I know it's not safe. I didn't think like this as a young dad. I just know it's not safe now. But I used to, I would grab the handlebars here and they would grab the handlebars down here and they would just walk. And I was mowing the lawn and they're like, look, Daddy, I'm mowing the lawn. And they had the joy of feeling like they were doing something, but guess what they weren't really doing? They weren't mowing the lawn, but they were collaborating and working with Dad, and Dad was mowing the lawn through them. And when we walk and surrender to the Lord, when we say, God, I am here, what I have inflow, what I learn, I will share and show, we get to work in collaboration, and he will do a work through us. So not only do we need to remember Jesus' position and Jesus' commission and Jesus' collaboration, but we also need to remember this. Discipleship and serving will cost you, and it is so worth it. Now, I didn't put a but there on purpose. I said and on purpose. Discipleship and serving will cost you, and it is so worth it. Because when we start weighing out the value of it, of eternal values, we'll go, it cost us, and it was worth every penny. Who here has ever bought something, it was a lot of money, and you said, and it was worth every penny? Anybody ever felt like that? Yeah. Many of us have thought that. Discipleship and serving will cost you, and it's worth everything. I'm not here to try to pull the wool over your eyes and tell you, if you follow Jesus... You'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. I'm not here to say that. I'm saying if you follow Jesus and you make disciples, it will cost you, and it will be the best investment you've ever done with your life. If you guys have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy. We're going to wrap up in this text here. 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you're using the Bibles in front of you, it's page 964. The Bible's in the chairs there, 964. 2 Timothy chapter 2.
Here we have a letter written from Paul to, we call him oftentimes young Timothy. When he was receiving these letters, he's probably a middle-aged man of some sort. But he was, he was receiving this letter, and uh, Timothy was a guy that Paul was just writing to, encouraging him to carry on the ministry. And if, we look, if you look at uh, verse 5, He's, Paul says to him, I'm reminded of you since of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm, I am persuaded that now lives in you. And so we just get a little glimpse, on the, a small glimpse of the discipleship process that was in the family of Timothy, of saying, listen, your, your uh, Lois and Eunice, your relatives, they actually helped steer you towards the Lord, and we, I wanted really just to encourage you and then we see here in chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you heard me say in the presence of many, and many witnesses, I want you to entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. For no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the vicar's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. First thing Paul tells Timothy is this. Listen, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in it. Hold tightly to the grace that is in Christ Jesus. For it is your foundation. And then the things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, share those with trustable, reliable people who will continue the process of sharing. You see, Paul and Timothy here was literally living out what Jesus was saying in Matthew 28. That repetition of inflow, outflow. But he goes on to say, but it's going to cost you. See, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ. There will be a cost. You see, salvation is 100% free, my friends costs you nothing because it costs Jesus. Jesus paid the full debt of all sin. And we are forgiven and have a full relation with Christ through Christ alone. But discipleship is different because discipleship will cost you. It will cost you. You will have to make choices to say no to good things at times, to say yes to Christ. You're going to have to say no to things that are not bad, but they, they take up so much time that they draw you away from the discipleship process. And he's saying, listen, suffer with me. But not only that, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. As I'm reading this, I'm reminded of the child who's not defiant nor compliant, but distracted. Saying, don't get distracted with civilian affairs, but rather, rather receive the vicar's crown. Or the athletes do not receive the vicar's crown except by competing according to the rules. See, here's the thing in discipleship there is a vicar's crown. Here's the thing about discipleship 
we get to share in the harvest of the crop. You see, we get to celebrate God's love through us and point people to Christ with purposeful intent. And yeah, we're going to make sacrifices. And yeah, there's going to be sometimes we're not going to feel like it. And yet, when we are honest, we have to come to the realization that it's better God's way. We're called to prioritize God's desire over our own because we are to be disciple makers. In other words, we're supposed to be disciples who make disciples. And you might be still going, ah, but Nate, it just feels so heavy. I wanted to share with you a few people that I value who don't even know fully that I value them. Leroy and Nina Holloway, my five and six-year-old Sunday school teachers. They poured into my life as a five and six-year-old. John Anning, who actually taught with Tim Potts, my, five and, my fifth and sixth grade class. Kevin McGill, he was an adult discipleship teacher at the church I grew up in. I centered his teaching. Dalmus Meeks was my uncle, who is actually my pastor as well. Randy and Jeannie Meeks, my parents, they, they, they discipled us. I mean, they regularly pointed us to the word. They regularly showed us what it was to depend upon Christ. Bill Houck, my 7th and 8th grade Sunday school teacher. Bill Houck was an ex-military guy who wore, when he was, I remember this, he was teaching on the armor of God, and he came into Sunday morning, full camo face, full army gear. He had his big Bowie knife here on the side. He had his army boots on. I mean, it was awesome. As a guy, as this little middle school boy, seeing Bill Houck come in and talking to me about the armor of God and relating what it is to the military things today and, and saying, strap it on. Because this is a matter of life and death. Jason Borton, when I first graduated high school, I volunteered as a youth leader with him for 10 years. And two of those years, I mentored and discipled underneath him directly so I could be a pastor. Don and Donna Christian were Amanda or, or, or uh, Juana command leaders who pointed me to Christ. Phil Kelly, my youth pastor in high school. If you were to ask them, was it worth it? I'll tell you for them, yes, it was. I get to be here disciple making. You know why? Because they disciple me. Are you going to disciple someone? We are all called to make disciples. So as we wrap up this morning, I want us to have four areas we wrap up, where the rubber meets the road. This is what I call this part of the message here. Disciple and serve in your home. Start small, but start real. In your home, point to Christ. In your home, point your kids to Jesus. If you're a grandparent and your kids are out of the house, guess what? Still point your kids to Jesus. 
Discipleship doesn't stop when they turn 18 and walk out of the house. You're still pointing with Jesus their whole life. Right, Ray? You do it. You're called to disciple them as they're out of the home. If they're in the home, point with Jesus. Pray with them. Talk with them. Read the word around them. Point them to Christ. Show them your dependence upon Christ. When you're struggling, show your kids your struggle and then show them where the hope is. You don't need to be perfect parents. You need to be parents who depend upon Christ and they need to see that. Not only in your homes, but here, disciple and serve in the church. We have roles and places where we could use you for God's glory as you can pour into the life of people. As you saw that list of names, those are people who served in the church, and many of them are still serving in the church. Tim Potts still teaches a fifth and sixth grade class almost 40 years later. Mind blown. Why? Because he knows it's worth it. Serve in church. But not only disciple and serve in church, disciple and serve in your community. If you notice, we're starting to move out small and go bigger and bigger and bigger. But here's the thing about discipling and serving in our community. This is not just meaning being a good city-minded person. This is meaning have purposeful intent. Purposeful intent that I am building relationships that God can use me for his glory in. Go, tell, baptize, teach. Inflow, outflow. But not only that, last with, make disciples to the ends of the earth. You see, maybe here some of you might be called to go overseas. I can tell you this, we're all called to have an impact throughout all the world. Some of us might be going personally into different parts of the world. Some of us might be partnering with people that go to different parts of the world. But we're all called to help reach to the uttermost parts of the world. At the core of it, this is what I want to ask you. Will you join us in making disciples? It's either a yes or no answer. You might be going, well, I'm busy. Yeah. You might be saying, well, I'm an introvert. Yeah. You might be saying, well, I don't know enough. Yeah. You might be saying, well, I'm scared. Yeah. I just gave you all of my excuses. We're called to make disciples. Will you make disciples? Let's pray. This morning, God, we just come. And as we... uh, we come, Lord, I just pray that we will come to you knowing that you want to do a work in and through us. Lord, I pray that we will walk in surrender, not out of guilt and shame, but Lord, we will walk in surrender, excited for you to do a work, knowing that you are faithful, you are dependable, you are trustworthy, knowing that we get to share with those around us, the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that we will point people to you, and as we learn and grow in the word, that we will teach others what we learn and grow, what we learn here on Sunday mornings and Wednesdays and in our personal studies, that we will not just be a dead sea that just soaks and soaks, but, Lord, that we will be a source that pours into the life of others and purposely and on purpose makes disciples who makes disciples.
This morning, let us be faithful in making you the center of our life. And Lord, when excuses come to our brains, let us lay those before you and ask for clarity from you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.